tough. I mean, right now my head is like ready to explode, like just in the thoughts of what's going on. And uh, I don't know if I'm even appropriate enough to say it, what the, what the players are feeling and how they're feeling. And um, I haven't talked to any of the players. I'm just but like coming in, even like driving here and getting into, into, the, into the studio, hearing calls and people talking. And for me, I think the biggest thing now is to kind of, as a black man, as a former player, I think it's for, best for me to support the players and just not be here tonight. And figure out what happens after that. This is a bit of a different rendition of the Free Association podcast. And we're in a different time, different era in many ways, specifically in basketball. And we saw a different sight and heard different voices. Kenny Smith literally left the broadcast uh, in solidarity with the players of the NBA as they decided to strike um, because there's some bigger matters at hand. I'm, I'm so thankful that we have Yasmin here with me uh, from the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Uh, many of our listeners will also be listeners of that. If you're not, if you don't have the crossover, be sure to subscribe. But more importantly, um, you know, Yasmin, I, I, I kind of want to lean on you right now because the last 48, 72 hours have been a whirlwind. I've talked about it on many platforms. And to be honest, I'm not even really sure what I've said because the emotions have been just so fluid. For you, seeing what the players have done after seeing what was done to Jacob Blake, what are your emotions like right now, someone who loves the sport but also covers the league? Um, I guess I'm proud that they feel comfortable enough to, you know, engage in you know, what is basically a form of disobedience. They broke a rule, um, refusing to come out to play a playoff game. Um, and I'm glad that they feel so strongly that they're willing to do something that they know uh, could be very polarizing. So um, I guess also a bit of shock because there is a bit of a spontaneity to it all. Um, George Hill um, of the Milwaukee Bucks basically described uh, refusing to come out and telling his teammates just before the game, prior to uh, pregame and shoot around, hey, maybe we shouldn't go out there. Maybe we should um, make a sort of statement. Um, and they, there they were holed up for three hours in their locker room calling legislators in um, the state of Wisconsin. So uh, it's, yeah, it's just amazing how strongly they felt about this and how um, determined they were to use uh, their platform and not in um a way where you have a pre-approved list of words you can put on the back of a jersey or Black Lives Matter on a court, but something that uh, broke an NBA rule, which is to you know refuse to come out to a game they're ob obligated to play. Yeah, I, for me, what was really surprising because we had heard you know some trickling that something like this might happen. If not with the Bucks, I mean, we were going to have the same question the next day when the Raptors and the Celtics uh -huh. uh, faced off because the Raptors and the Celtics had a meeting of their own talking about what they wanted to do. And Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell were quite open talking to us in the media saying, we're not really sure if they're just being placated, if they're actually being able to impact the change that they want um, from the bubble. So we knew it was brewing. But what we didn't know, what we didn't expect 
it was the trickle effect it was going to have across sports major league baseball players saying they're not playing unless teams following them you know all but one mls game that night did not happen Naomi Osaka arguably the best female tennis player in the world saying semifinals I'm good um, and then that tournament being paused and then not overly surprisingly if you've been paying attention but the NHL not coming along as fast as the other sports leagues but eventually 24 hours later they got there that to me really stood out and it's not just players I think the important thing to note is that yeah these players come from you know communities where this is a, a massive issue and even when you're outside of that community and you're at the top of your field what happened to Masai Jury lets us know that you're always black and, and that you could, these things could still happen to you but the referees the majority of which are also black they had a walk in solidarity with the players we started the show with Kenny Smith a broadcaster being put in a, in a uncomfortable position and he had some solidarity with the players a hockey broadcaster who's not black and kelly rudy saying yeah i don't think i should be here right now but even the news that's still breaking and this story is fluid so by the time you get to this podcast i'm sure the story will have changed five or six times luke andrews of espn reporting that over a hundred officials at the nba league office has emailed deputy commissioner mark tatum saying yeah guess what we're not going to be working today we're putting on the out of office in solidarity with the players uh, I, i'm actually really surprised but encouraged that it wasn't just these athletes alone that what they did really started a fire in, in sports even outside of just people who take the court yeah i agree um and i think that we're seeing a lot of people looking to the nba um, I guess for a bit of guidance, because I think that it may not be the most popular sport in North America, but I feel like a lot of um, players and other uh, major league sports look to NBA players for their social cues on um, progressive issues, because we describe the NBA as a progressive league, but really it's the players within it. It's not the uh, commissioner. It's not the um, board of directors or whatever. It's the players themselves who take on these initiatives because um, at the end of the day, it's still in the CBA. They're not allowed to kneel. It's still a rule um, that they're breaking actively. So um, we're seeing that um, people are looking to the NBA to see what their next steps should be. Um, and I think that they're, I think that the players understand the seriousness and are, um, you know, engaging in these meetings uh, to figure out the next steps uh, because they see that they have a, a moment in time to really make an impact to. Um, I guess, trailblaze um, that actual change. You, you know, you're right. We, we talk about the NBA as a progressive league, and we talk about basketball as a progressive sport. But, you know, in my description of all of the other leagues uh, that, that joined the NBA, you know, I, I missed one. The WNBA mm -hmm. has been even more so a leader since its inception on these issues since 1996. I mean, arguably one of the best players of all time, Maya Moore is not playing right now because she's been working uh, on these issues and to, to free um, an innocent man uh, who is behind bars. The WMA has never been asleep on these issues. It's always been woke. And so in many 
um, civil rights causes. It's often led by the women. Um, and in, in this one, I, I often think as bold as the choice that the, the Bucks and the other um, brethren in the league made, you know, they were able to really stand on the shoulders of some giants that are female and, and that have led uh, in this way. I think m the question that many people have, and I think it's unfair that we, we place it on the athletes, but it's one that comes up anyways, whether it's the WNBA players, the NBA players, or, or just all of sports right now, as, as we take some time to reflect, is okay, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've decided that you're gonna play once again. Uh, you're putting games on, on hiatus, but, but you, they're not totally being halted and ended. Ooh, what do we gain from this in terms of some tangible action uh, moving forward? I, I think that's the biggest question for me. And I even really feel bad asking it because I, I don't even really feel like it's fair to put that burden on the players. But, yeah. but this is where we are. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people want to know, what do we do next? But I think that throughout the last, what, half century, over half century of the civil rights movement is that we oftentimes don't know. And it's okay not to know what to do next. But I think that it doesn't um, devalue trying everything or trying your options or um, testing the power that you have, testing the leverage that you have. So it's, it's okay. I remember, um, I think I read that Kyle Korver apologized um, on behalf of the Bucks in the meet, in the players meeting. Um, yes. I think it was before yesterday at 8 PM um, apologizing about how random and impulsive it was. Um, and then Jalen Brown corrected him saying that you don't have to apologize. It's okay because of the seriousness of everything. So um, I, I, I even have those questions myself where I'm wondering, what do we do next? How do they build? Um, because I think that there is something in there. I think there's something valuable in the fact that they've gained the attention of the billionaire owners of the teams, people who have real political power. Um, but at the same time, it's okay not to know net what's happening next. And I think that we should um, be willing to find out. And I think that's what the players know too. So we're having a kind of micro conversation right now in terms of what this means um, for the NBA and, and how this all came about. You know, we're going to be joined by Mark Strong and have the macro conversation, um, not even about what this means for black NBA players, what this means for minorities, period, in this time. But before we pivot and have that conversation, I'd be remiss since since I, I feel like I'm stealing in a way and I'm stealing your takes and, and, and you from the Dishes and Dimes podcast. But I'd be remiss if I didn't get your take on the actual series. Like the thing that's going to happen for Canadian basketball fans, Raptors and Celtics, for me, it, it's a series that we've wanted to see over the last oh, six yeah. seasons. And it, it just, the, the bracket never matched up. The, the two of the smartest executives and Danny Ainge and Masai, two teams who have drafted well and who are really run well and on the court, they, they have some similar things, size, skill, ratio. Coaching. Thank you to the, yeah. the best <laughs> and most innovative coaches. Um, and, and coaches who we were talking about like power and politics, coaches who I think could have a future in politics if they actually um, wanted to. I think Brad Stevens looks like a politician and <laughs> like it has the acumen and smarts and appeal of a politician. Um, but the size to skill ratio on the wings, the heady tough guard play. Uh, and for me, the, the tipping point in the series is just the fact that the Raptors have more experience and versatility inside with their bigs. But what is your take on the series and what are you really looking 
uh, for in terms of the, the burning questions you have on how these teams will, will match up um, over a best of seven series? Uh, yeah, I've thought about it a lot. And I think that um, I wish so we can see both teams at their absolute, like absolutely maximized. Um, so I think that the Raptors have gained a little bit of a step forward if he's not playing because those sizable wings for the Celtics, like they cause a lot of problems, especially for the miniature backcourt for the Raptors. But I'm very excited to see the guard play. So seeing Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, seeing a... Uh, Kemba Walker, seeing how Marcus Smart matches up with um, which point guard he's placed on, for example. I want to know if the Celtics place wings on the backcourt to kind of, I guess, cut the head of the snake off. Um, I'm interested to see how they guard Pascal Siakam. I'm interested to see if they hide anyone on OG Ananobi because he is the lesser offensive threat out of the rotation, but at the same time, um, he's been taking advantage of those mismatches. He's not afraid to get into the post. Um, and I'm interested to see if Marcus L finds his stride offensively because we know he's going to be defensively excellent. Um, but we know that he struggled, I guess, to find that sweet spot in shot attempts for the team. So um, I know they're going to take advantage of the fact that he's probably going to be matched up against a Daniel Tice or an Ennis Cantor. Um, and we'll wait and see to see how he deals with that. But um, I think the talent level for both teams is relatively even. Um Perhaps the Raptors bench gives them that extra firepower where they have a Norman Powell or a Serge Ibaka who would, who are completely overqualified as bench players. Um, and I, but, the, but, at the, but at the end of the day, I think that it's going to be a um, chess match of coaching. I think that's what it's going to come down to because they both coaches have all of the tools in their arsenal. Um, and it's just a matter of seeing who used um, timing, I know that Nick Nurse likes to wait a couple games before he, you know, whips out any, um, I guess, plays that he's been thinking about, lineups that he's been experimenting with throughout the season. So um, I am very excited to see this matchup. Uh, we were joking that, of course, the league is going to cancel <laughs> prior to us getting this matchup because it seems like something always goes wrong before we get it. So, um, yeah, I think that Raptors fans are excited and it seems that Celtics uh, fans are excited as well. Yeah, Celtics uh, did control the season series 3-1. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're the only team that beat the Raptors in the bubble, and they beat them badly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all the reasons that you described, I'm so excited for this matchup. And I, I do think that, you know, those things are not mutually exclusive. You can really, really love your team and really, really be passionate and, you know, be all in on the NBA playoffs, but also recognize that sometimes some things are bigger than basketball. Absolutely. Basketball has to go away. Um, so it is inevitably coming back. Um, and it, I'm excited uh, to, to resume it. Uh, we will resume this conversation with Mark Strong about some things that are bigger than basketball. You're listening to Free Association with Yasmin and me. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. You are still listening 
the free association uh and it is a a different time uh it, it is one of the slogans coming into the bubble is uh, a whole new game and it is a whole new game for real right now uh donovan bennett uh joined by yasmin of dishes and dimes podcast and strizzy um the voice uh of the raptors you know in uh stadium uh making sure that energy that we the north energy uh translates from you the fans to the players um you know and i'm gonna be honest with um with both of you uh, you know a couple days ago my energy was not high like it, it, i was not excited um i watched uh you know the jacob blake um video like everybody else and um i was a little bit dispirited because um i'm still trying to get people to say brianna taylor's name and i'm still uh trying to get people to understand that i, I could have been george floyd so the fact that like we're now lily padding uh to another name in a similar scenario it, it seemed like you know we're pushing this this ball uphill and it's not really going anywhere I'll, I'll start with you mark you know assuming you saw the video but certainly when you saw um the reaction to it what were your emotions and your feelings uh to be honest initially um i decided not to watch the video the only reason i did that is because um a i don't really want to promote um, that type of trauma porn that goes around the internet. Two, um, I didn't want to, uh, people don't realize that as much as we see it, we start to internalize things more and more. And it also becomes something that becomes traumatic for us. But I didn't do it because of my privilege to not be able to watch it. It's, my point was, is that if I've seen George Floyd and if I've seen Breonna Taylor and if I've seen um, Jacob, it's, it's another, it's the same book, different, page. We understand police brutality. We understand the racism. We know that we're getting shot in the street. We know that there's no justice. So to look at it, would it have made a difference? I thought to myself, let me understand the particulars and I get it. I don't need to watch it. Then I did watch it. And when I watched it, um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate. Some people, they really couldn't stomach it. It made them sick. And some people like myself just became more and more numb and not numb as as to like, I'm ignoring it, but numb to the fact that, yeah, it's another one. And, and unfortunately, like you said, this three months period will it happen, uh, will we be here talking in another three months? I don't think people understand the layers of racism that we actually have to peel off in order to get to the core of the systemic racism that we have to um, dissolve from the foundation is going to take years. George Floyd wasn't the one. Jacob um, is not the one. These are stepping ladders to move towards stronger actions and more focused. But as much as we focus, racism is not dying. It still lives. It's still thriving. Do you know what I mean? So it's not as though this is the last one and we're going to make sure Jacob is the last to die. By all means, I pray that's true. It's not going to be. We're going to have more of it. So. Um, what do we do going forward? We need plans. We need strategies. Um, and that's what I think. I'm happy for this today because I'm hoping to get some sort of uh, insight on strategies going forward. Yasmin, did you watch? 
I did not watch it. Um, I, I completely agree with what uh, Mark said, where I don't want to desensitize myself to that kind of imagery. Um, and also, like, that stuff is traumatizing. Uh, I think it was Pascal Siakam who mentioned that he was traumatized by the first one. He couldn't watch the second one. Um, and I feel the same way. Um, at the same time, um, I think that what we're seeing is that what results, what gives results is that kind of civil disobedience where people break rules um, in order to, I guess, cultivate a conversation around things because I think we're seeing where people are like um, peaceful protests, peaceful protests. And then you do things that are peaceful, like not play or strike or boycott. Um, and then people are saying, no, not that way. So I guess we have to wonder what is considered acceptable protest and, and should protest be acceptable? Isn't the point of protest um, in order to make people uncomfortable to, I guess, um, answer questions that they don't want to even think about? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, as much as I loved the, the strike, the, the wildcard strike in legalese term, um, I, I wish it was still going. I, I, I do. And I, I think that's unfair to put that at the feet of the players. I think really the, the, the change needs to come from the owners, the, the guys who's, who's you know, checking accounts um, have bees in it, like billions of dollars. Um, but I think the, the way that you wake those owners up is that you speak the language that they speak and that's profit margin analysis. And if you took some of their money in the billion dollar bubble uh, and, and went home, I do think that maybe quickly they would realize what time it is and they would use not just their fiscal capital, but their social capital and more importantly, their political capital to get some things done. In the NBA, as, as much as the league has been far and away the most progressive and the, the fact that we, we, other leagues and really our society took COVID-19 seriously because the NBA said, well, we're taking it seriously. Uh, having said that, they've, shown that they can do more like they've shown us a standard when they decided not to bring the all-star game to charlotte a couple years ago because they were opposed to the hb2 bathroom bill because it was discriminatory against the lgbtq plus community guess what happened they changed that bill and then they brought the all-star game back there with with all of its economy uh, and industry and so similarly if if the board of governors and the nba really, really wanted to fix this issue, their first move would not be to put Black Lives Matter on the court. It would not be to put social justice phrases on the jerseys. They would pick up the phone and they would get some things done. So, so the, the thing about this whole thing that I love is that the Milwaukee Bucks who planned to play, who were in uniform, said, no, we need a whiteboard to strategize and we need a phone to get a couple uh, legislators on speakerphone to figure out what we need to do. I, I would love if that pressure was prolonged. I, it's not fair to ask them to do that, but um, I, I think that's that's one of the ways we potentially um, could have got some fast action because, you know, like change soon come, like it needs to be a lot sooner. Like it, it, needs to, it needs to be a little bit more urgent. We've been having these conversations since the 60s and the civil rights movement, and we've really been suffering these consequences for 400 plus years. So I'll, I'll, I'll transition by saying, well, what, what can we do? 
right? Like, like we as media members, all of us are talking about it. Um, and the fact that the players did what they did is giving us that window to talk about it. But we're, we're all fans first. We're, we as media are speaking to consumers as fans. What can the average person do um, to, to make what the players are doing um, not in vain, but, but also to make the owners maybe realize that, that they could do, do more? Uh, Yasmin, I'll start with you. Um, I think you mentioned a good point earlier where it's to, um, I guess, speak the language of profit or the language that ownership can understand. Um, and I think that the people have the ability to do that. Um, it's interesting because I just I put this in a piece that I wrote the other day where um, in terms of ownership's like political capital, um, Sixers owner uh, Josh Harris was lobbying the state legislator in order to use tax revenue and taxpayer money. Uh, to build an arena for the Sixers. <laughs> so these guys have actual um, like tangible leverage in terms of like speaking to politicians. And um, I honestly, I don't know what people can do in particular, maybe engage in a boycott as well in order to, um, I guess, bolster what the players are already doing. Um, but at the same time, um, you also mentioned this where you're in stuck in this weird place where you feel as though you feel you feel as though that this pressure shouldn't be on them as the oppressed. The like um, it was mentioned the other way other day where the onus shouldn't be on the oppressed in order to you know fix the wrongdoings of the oppressor. So at the same time, I see the potential of what is happening right now in the NBA, where I feel like it can yield results. So it's this weird place where you don't know where to where to stand and. At the end of the day, I think as consumers and as media members, the best thing that we can do right now that I know for sure is that we can create a space where players feel comfortable expressing themselves and that we honestly and accurately report or interpret what they're saying. So I guess not manipulating um, words in order to, um, I guess, bring a fullness to our stories, not not misrepresenting what they say in order to get the leads that we want. So I think that's the best that uh, we as people can do. But at the same time, um, again, we don't have all the answers. And I feel like we're entering this kind of unprecedented territory where we're kind of one step in front of the other and we don't really know where we're going. And I think that's okay um, because it can be, it can be exciting and it can be, I guess, you know, reformative in a way. Trizzy, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally echo those sentiments. I also think that um, in, in, um, in light of the whole, um, you know, the, the oppressed having to answer to, um, well, we've done that a lot with things like marathons, for example. Like if you, uh, if there's a, a typhoon, uh, uh, calamity out in some other part of the world. <laughs> Celebrities are asking regular people to donate to help other people who, meanwhile, the celebrities, the governments, all of the places that can cut the checks immediately are asking us who are trying to balance our budget, our budget in order to help people that are, that are in need, which rose over to things like COVID. We just here in nationally, we talk nationally here. When you, when you needed the money, you were able to cut serve checks. You're able, when you were able to find money, you can sign money, right? When you're able to put effort, you can put effort. 
And I think that when it comes to us, uh, the, the best I can see us doing really is to continue to, um, yes, make, uh, make people aware, uh, continue to have the conversations. But these conversations definitely need to lead to somewhat of a mandate, somewhat of a, uh, if I take from Ice Cube, somewhat of a, a black contract, something that we're all in adherence to that is to the benefit of moving this conversation past conversation and into action. And whether that does mean something alongside, like you, Donovan, I was, when I woke up the next morning, I was like, oh, the strike's done. I thought we were, <laughs> not like, I thought like the playoffs were done. I didn't realize the strike's done. Okay. But again, we weren't in those rooms. I don't know what exactly happened in Transpire that allowed them to say, okay, you've met certain demands that allow us to move inches forward in what we're doing. So I dig that. I can't hold that against the players. They know why they decided to go back. But for us, um, I think we have to continue to, uh, raise those, uh, raise those points and raise those, um, the, um, uh, the, the initial, the initial demands that we need, um, met. And that also comes in, as you mentioned, it'll, it'll come to things like boycotts. It'll come to things like naming names. And we have to stop acting as though we're just, we can't, we cannot continue to just say the system because the system is a wide, broad range of just saying that everything is wrong when we don't specifically call out whether it's uh, sponsors, um, whether it's uh, products, whoever it is that we know are not in the best interest. If, if players and ourselves can endorse a certain uh, product, if I can wear something, if I can buy something, then I can endorse a mandate as well too. So we need to take our focus away from those things that are possibly not helping the situation and are feeding into the same system. We need to take the money out of there, the focus out of there, and put it into the the mandate and the mentality of what we want to move forward with in order to try and break down these systems of racism. Well said. And lastly, quickly before I let you guys go, um, you know, I, I want you to speak to a portion of our audience um, that probably doesn't suffer some of these uh, atrocities that isn't carded that isn't profiled uh, m- most of my mentions right now is a lot of what about ism well, well what were his priors what did he have on him what what demand did he not obey what has he done in his past right somehow justifying that you could look at someone as less than human in a moment not see the humanity in them not see the humanity in their children in the car not see the humanity in asking their mothers and, 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 and wives to, to talk to news cameras and explain to them, you know, how it feels that, that their husband and their son's not coming home. Not see the humanity in the fact that in, in certain communities in Canada and in the United States, the churches are used more for funerals than they are for weddings. I'm seeing a lot of what about ism. And so can you speak? To, to that person who's looking for reasons as to why what has happened is kosher and acceptable. Um, can you explain to them why their, their focus is probably on the, on the wrong things? But Mark, uh, uh, I'll start with you and then Yasmin, I'll, I'll give the last word to you. Um, I think that this is why it's crucial. But for me, I thought that, you know, the players, uh, being able to speak out um, on these issues makes it most important because when we see the shootings and the killings and the police brutalities and the injustices that happen 
in every system, whether it be governmental, educational, political, wherever they are. Again, there's this, there's this, there's this non-face, there's this ghost face of racism, like racism just sort of is there. But when the faces of a Fred Van Vliet, a Norm Powell, a LeBron James, a Giannis Antetokounmpo, when they are faced, when their face is put onto, it could be me. When the people say things like, you know, um, you know, if he didn't this, if he didn't that, would they say the same if LeBron was pulled over? How many people would question LeBron? They, they probably wouldn't because they relate, think they relate, know LeBron, but do not know his struggle in life. And that's why these players take it so personal, because it's when they say it's family, it could be any one of our families. So for those people who are thinking that, you know, uh, what about all of his priors and what if he did things right and what if he did things by the law? Um, I respectfully say or directly say you're speaking through a lens of privilege. You're speaking through a, a seat in which you particularly probably never have to ever get pulled over. You're just worried about your insurance going up. Maybe that's your concern. That's not ours. Our concern is that when we get pulled over, we do not know what's about to happen with the rest of our life. You hear me, D? Yeah. I just want them to know. That. I just want them to know that if you feel that we should be doing everything by the law, and even when we do it, everything by the law, we still are brutalized, and we probably were pulled over against the law. It's probably against due process. So there is no win in that sense. Um, I, I, I just want to leave it at the fact that I, I really think that if you, if, if anybody's priors are supposed to stay with them into something, somebody's present day, then they need to look into their own life and realize that whatever they've done in their past could judge them in this present and possibly not allow them to live a future because they could be dead by the hands of, uh, some sort of bigotry or, or, or prejudice. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, I don't, mean to laugh because the subject matter is not funny but you you talk about you know worried about insurance premiums and rates going up and that's their level uh, but but our level is forget about being pulled over when we hear sirens our heart rate goes up and we, know we didn't do anything and it got nothing to do with it. it could be somebody else hitting a light and we're worried about our life not even insurance they, they need to really understand the, and they need to know from you, Donovan, and you, Yasmin, and myself, they need to know that people like us, when, if they don't think we're regular people, we know we're regular people. We know we can be get pulled over at any point in time and feel the exact same pressure. So it's not as though it happens to people that aren't, you know, the, the, the poster person of, uh, of clean living. Could be me. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be any of us, but it, it could happen to any of us at any time. Yasmin, last word. Sorry, Yasmin, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you hit on everything. Um, I think that when it comes to those, you know, what about isms, um, there are a lot of a lot of things at play. Um, on one hand, you have people who I just, you know, I've mentioned this, I've written about it, where I feel like everyone feels they have authority over you when you're a person of color. Um, and at the same time, that that in and of itself is devaluing and when you couple that with the um the i, I don't even it's not even a, a, a model minority dynamic where it's you're expected to be perfection in order for people to afford you humanity so when you put these things together you realize that at the end of the day 
no matter how it is, like whether you're, whether you have priors, whether you have absolutely nothing on your books, whether you're a child, when you have the, when the color of your skin, when you're the surface of your personhood determines how an interaction with law enforcement is going to go, then you've already lost, you know what I mean? And that's like the flaw of society as a whole. Like that's where, that's where it actually begins. So um, when it comes to those what about isms, it, it's really hard to convey to those people because I don't think they're acting in good faith to tell them that um, that's not the point of the situation. The point of the situation is that this is how an encounter with people who are meant to protect and serve, who are paid through our tax dollars, treat you based on the color of your skin before they even know who you are. So um, I don't even know how, how I can um, convey to those people because I don't I, I don't think they're acting in good faith. And I think they've already kind of decided and made their minds up and they're trying to... Um, I guess, uh, find a logic behind their prejudice, but I'm here to tell them that there is no logic behind it. Um, and that, um, their way of thinking, no matter how much they use, I guess, I, I guess how much they try to make sense of it, it's not going to make sense at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. You're right. And I just, I just keep thinking about, well, what about Trayvon Martin? He, he was exactly, uh, a 17 year old kid. And he was Tamir Rice as, as uh, yeah Tamir Rice, um, you know Tamir Rice. But on the other hand, and you say, what about Dylan Roof? What about somebody <laughs> who's doing something illegal and he's getting a burgers at Burger King? How about if I give you a what if? <laughs> what about? You know what I mean? Like, it, what? Why? Why do I have to answer your what about? How about your what about? So I, I, yeah, I would say what about Kyle Rittenhouse, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's not even like we have. We've seen it in Toronto where. It's not even a matter of um, a dispute where the police are called, but even wellness checks. Wellness checks are supposed to be something where you're supposed to um, ensure that a person you, you know, a loved one is healthy and okay. But those situations in of itself are dangerous. So it just tells you that uh, even the context of the, the situation, you're still um, unsafe because of the color of your skin. And that's inherently like just flawed. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it is flawed. It, it is a, a, a flawed system. It is not uh, a system of, of rogue agents or, or bad apples. Uh, it's a bad system. Uh, hopefully, um, with conversations like this, we can slowly try and change that system by changing some mindsets and some, some, some hearts as well. Uh, thank you both for doing it. I know um, that it's not Let's easy. have this every Friday at 10 o'clock. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, listen, I'm I'm down. I I I I'm down because <laughs> I know this is not easy. When when you know something traumatic happens and it starts to trend, you know you guys are asked to talk about it. Um, so I do appreciate you you doing it. Um, and, and please um, continue the work that you guys are both doing uh, on this issue and continue the excellent work you guys are both doing. Just actually covering things that aren't traumatic as well. Uh, because we should mention that, that you're doing right. great jobs in your field. Uh, Yasmin, she's from the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Give them a like, a favorite, a subscribe. You won't uh, regret it. Uh, and give them a follow as well on Twitter. It's Dishes and Dimes pod. Uh, and make sure you're reading. As she mentioned a lot of stuff that she's writing. Uh, the Neon Playbook uh, is her blog. And of course, Strizzy. Um, Strizzy literally is everywhere, right? So I'm not even going to go through the laundry list of things that he's doing, but make sure you listen on the radio, um, uh, on G, but also make sure you're following at Strizzy with three Z's 
on Twitter, at Trizzy everywhere on IG. And, and when we get to that place where we can have fans in the stands again at Scotiabank, you will see him and hear him uh, leading the Raptors and getting you hyped. I miss uh, those intros. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's so strange so in the bubble. Let's say the families are take over now. Kyle Lowry's kids were good, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, man. I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- thank you both uh, so kindly. Please be well. Thanks for having me. Believe.